Hello and welcome everyone to the Alatia Foundation podcast. My name is Axel Threlfall. I'm editor-at-large for Reuters based out of London. Uh, I'm thrilled to welcome Sheikh Nawaf Saud Nasial Sabah to the program. Sheikh Nawaf is the deputy chair and CEO of Kuwait Petroleum Corporation. KPC is, of course, Kuwait's national oil company. Uh, welcome, uh, Sheikh Nawaf, uh, to the podcast. Um, look, we've got plenty to talk about, given the, the geopolitical and the economic context, given OPEC's recent decision, and of course, the uh, energy transition. I'd like to start with the latest news on the back of the, the June 4th uh, OPEC meeting in Vienna. Is, is, the, is the oil market, in your view, balanced right now? Well, first of all, Axel, thank you very much for uh, having me and uh, a very big thank you to the Al-Adiyya Foundation and certainly to its founder, uh, an old friend and uh, really a mentor to quite a few of us in the oil industry, uh, Abdullah bin Hamid Al-Adiyya. Uh, from the perspective of the oil markets, uh, look, we look at uh, supply demand balances and try to achieve those balances as much as possible. Obviously, uh, with uh, the OPEC, uh, recent OPEC plus uh, action, uh, they're seeking that type of balance. Uh, they would not take action unless they saw that balance was in question. Uh, from my perspective as uh, KPC, I look at it from a long-term uh, executive uh, per, uh, point of view. So over the long term, I see a demand for oil continuing to to be uh, strong and and to actually increase over the next uh, few years and we're making the investments to make sure that we have that capacity to, to meet that demand mm -hmm. uh what it what the oil markets do over the next few months is really a question for the opec ministers to decide on how they how they see it so obviously from what they've seen so far uh it looks like there there are uh, potential headwinds against yep. uh, against uh some of increases in demand and look, I'll, I'll get into demand and, and, and your investment in just a moment, but I have to ask you this on the back of uh, uh, the June 4th meeting um, and the Saudis uh, decision to cut its own output. Um, I think it was called the Saudi lollipop. Uh, did you did you have any idea that this was coming? Were you given a heads up about that cut? Uh, the nice thing about where I sit is I am not involved in OPEC uh, decision making. Uh, as an executive, uh, the sovereign uh, uh, representative there is the oil minister. So the oil minister comes back after an OPEC meeting and tells me uh, what the, what our production should be. So I, thankfully, I don't need I, I'm not involved in this. <laughs> were, were you surprised by it? Uh, no, I, I could see a lot of things, a lot of possibilities, a lot of eventualities coming around. OK, look, um, the monthly report, uh, June 11th, I, I think said uh, 20, 2023 demand uh, is going to rise, I think, to two and a half percent. Where do you see demand in the second half of this year? And, and specifically, how optimistic are you about Chinese demand continuing to increase? I know there's been some concern about China. Well, I've been asked this over the last six months, and my answer has always been consistent. Uh, I see demand in China uh, continuing to rise. Uh, it, it is doing so at a, uh, a sustainable rate. Uh, it is a uh, it is a, a sort of almost an assured rate uh, as it's going through. Uh, we see that from our customers. 
our customers in China, and that is our largest customer for crude oil uh, for, for KPC, those customers continue to demand at least the, uh, similar amounts of crude, if not uh, more. And uh, it is, it's a, uh, a harbinger, if you will, of, of uh, continued good demand, but also uh, perhaps also of, of just the long-term supply relationship that we have with our customers. On the second half of the year, uh, as assuming Chinese demand continues to grow, uh, and and the the opening continues to happen. Uh, we see that there will be good uh, demand coming out of uh, of China. Now you know numbers. Nobody really knows exactly what uh, can can project exactly what those numbers will be. But uh, we're looking forward to that. Okay, but enough, you, you, so the response is enough to keep the market stable. Yes, I, I'd like to ask whether you're concerned about Kuwait's own market share in China, given what Russia's supplying into Asia now, especially China and India. Um, is Are you worried at all about Kuwait's position, given what the Saudis are doing, especially? Are you missing out in any way? Could, is there a chance you might start missing out in the future? No, I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, our customers have been our customers for decades. They will continue to be our customers for decades to come. It's because uh, we have refineries uh, and customers uh, who have configured their refineries to take Kuwait export crude, uh, they recognize that we are a uh, reliable and stable uh, uh, supplier of crude, and that if they go for an opportunistic uh, barrel every uh, now that uh, and and drop, for example, a, a, a Kuwaiti barrel in, instead, that when they come back to us, they will realize that we also have a a long line of suitors outside our door for our production that uh, they may not have that allocation uh, for the future. So instead, uh, we rely on a on, on having customers for a long-term relationship and we cater uh, for each other as suppliers and customers for any eventuality that can, may come around. And and you know, with with the, this long line of suitors in mind, um, is is the makeup of that line of suitors changing at all? Um, have have you been upping exports, for example, to other markets in Europe as a result of the diversion? Well, for Europe, the customer base there is not so much for crude oil as it is for refined products, and certainly we have uh, for Europe. We have taken advantage of. Uh, the demand that has opened up for, especially for fuel oil and middle distillates, by uh, bringing online our new refinery in Kuwait, Zor, uh, which uh, will produce 600,000 barrels of, uh, or uh, refine 600,000 barrels of crude oil uh, into uh, quite a bit of it being uh, low sulfur fuel oil, ultra low sulfur fuel oil. Uh, and that will meet all the standards for uh, European uh, consumption. We have essentially a wall of product going out from Kuwait uh, to Europe. Uh, we've had a product that initiates as crude oil produced from a Kuwaiti reservoir here in Kuwait, refined in a Kuwaiti refinery in Kuwait, transported on a Kuwaiti ship uh, to a receiving terminal uh, owned by Kuwait uh, Petroleum, which is our uh, downstream subsidiary in, in Europe. In in uh, in Italy, and then marketed through uh, our our service stations under the Q8 logo. So we go all the way down from the wellhead down to the gas tank, uh, or even if it's aviation fuel, we like to say we go from the wellhead to the wingtip as well. Mm -hmm. So 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 let me just get that right. So so you have been ramping up um, products to Europe 
uh, at the Alzor refinery, uh, and and you expect that to continue unabated. Not only not only Alzor refinery, uh, but also uh, our other existing refineries here in Kuwait, uh, Min Abdullah and Min Lahmedi. Uh, we finished the clean fuels project here in Kuwait uh, that gives us about eight hundred thousand uh, barrels a day of refining capacity. That all of which meet, will meet uh, Euro five standards. So uh, we have the the uh, the product available uh, to go to to Europe, and we're capturing those opportunities. Um, you, you, Sheikh Nawaf, you, you sound, I've got to say, extremely optimistic about um, about Kuwait's um, competitive position in the market. I want to I want to explore that a little bit more, if I may. Um, I, I think the the many would say the the dynamic, uh, for want of a better word, political environment in Kuwait has, has which has translated into shakeups in government and parliament. Uh, most recently, the uh, the the elections. Some might say this is this is being watched warily by the sector. Would you say there is a potential that this could harm? Um, your competitive position could harm the, uh, uh, the, the, the investment planning uh, over the next 12 to 18 months? Uh, I don't see that at all because we've had that for quite a bit of time and uh, various changes in ministers and, and, and governments here in Kuwait, but none of that has affected in any way the strategy for the oil sector and uh, uh, the investments that we that we make. The uh, oil sector, uh, KPC, uh, headed by KPC. It's run professionally. Uh, I, as uh, the, uh, the CEO of KPC, uh, work with my colleagues and my executives to run this uh, sector professionally. We we rely on support from the government, but our strategies do not change with successive uh, governments because the strategy of the state remains the same. Okay, fine, fair enough. So absolutely no, not harming the sector in any way. Okay, um, just let, let's let's shift it to, to to the transition and more broadly. Um, what what is just just a, a, a big question to start? What is, in your view, the role of the Gulf oil producers in, in reducing reducing greenhouse gas emissions? We recognize, especially here in in Kuwait and uh, and down through the GCC producers, we recognize that our barrel of of uh, oil is the lowest cost barrel in the world, but it's also the lowest carbon intensity barrel in the world. So between, I know this, the, the numbers have been reported for Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, uh, uh, that our CO2 emissions, scope one and scope two, per barrel of production are all sub 10 kilograms. Uh, we're at about five in Kuwait. I think the Emirates are probably around the same. Uh, the uh, the next closest competitor to us from a carbon intensity uh, perspective uh, are well into the high teens and 20s. And those are some of the perhaps uh, you know, Permian production uh, and other places. But then very quickly after that, you see numbers in the 40s and 50s uh, kilograms per barrel. So we are in some cases 10% of uh, what everybody else or what a lot of others producers are, are producing in terms of uh, CO2 emissions. But we will not rest there. We recognize that at the end of any energy transition, oil will remain a part of the energy mix. 
Um, right now, it's about a third of the energy mix. In the future, it may go down to about a quarter, but the pie will be larger. So a quarter of a larger pie of more energy demand uh, that will still re remain a there would still be a robust demand for uh, for crude oil. We then are positioning ourselves to ensure that we are the producers who are not only the lowest cost, but the lowest carbon intensity. So I'm saying we are we are at the forefront right now, uh, but we will continue to invest to go down to zero carbon emissions. We've announced our 2050 uh, net zero carbon emissions uh, strategy. We are uh, rolling out the implementation plan on how on how we exactly we will get there. And uh, we intend to be the essentially the last barrel uh, uh, producing it within this sector. So as you go through the energy transition, mm -hmm. we will uh, we will continue to have hydrocarbons production. It will just be our production more so than than ever before. OK, OK. So uh, again, you know, quite quite optimistic as it uh, sort of vis-a-vis uh, -vis Kuwait's role in the in the transition. Um, what what about more specifically? What about um, Carbon capture projects. What about hydrogen production for local use or, or, or export? What can you can tell us a little bit about any plans well, in the works? Well, that? certainly we're looking. Yeah, that's all part of our uh, of our uh, energy transition strategy. Uh, we're looking at the various options to reduce and, and essentially decarbonize the, the the production of of, uh, of oil here in Kuwait. Um, we've started with solar uh, as our fields begin to age. We've been producing oil for 80 years now and uh, natural in every in every field. Uh, you move on to secondary recovery techniques and you'll need uh, uh, more energy to produce a barrel of oil. So what we're doing is uh, using renewable energy to power up the facilities that we will need to produce that uh, those additional barrels. For example, uh, as pressure begins to wane in certain in older, much older reservoirs, you would you, know, you would put in electric submersible pumps into the wells. Uh, those pumps, as as their name says, they are they're run by electricity. If we can run those pumps, and they do demand quite a bit of electricity, if they, we can run those pumps using solar power, then we will not have increased the carbon footprint of that same barrel of oil, even though the pressure will have uh, decreased in, in the reservoir over a longer period of time. We started that project. We started that project with a uh, uh, with a pilot called Sidra 500. Uh, we the reason we named it Sidra 500 is because it is the econ the environmental equivalent of planting 500 Sidra trees, uh, because we are running the ESPs completely on solar power. It's a small pilot, but we've learned quite a bit from it. Cost remains relatively high. It's not yet prohibitive, but we're trying to we're working down. We're working how to bring those costs down so that we can roll it out across uh, the rest of our, our, our fields here in Kuwait. Uh, that's one on, on the electricity on the electrification side on the CCUS side. And, and really we're stressing CCUS, uh, the utilization part, uh, not just the CCS, which is just the storage part. We're trying to, uh, we've worked on a pilot. Uh, it's also been successful where we inject CO2 that we will capture from uh, from our uh, refineries and, 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 and power stations here in Kuwait. 
uh, inject it into the reservoirs to maintain uh, pressure and uh, stimulate production. The CO2 will replace what would otherwise have been injected, which would have been either natural gas or water. Both of those are, are very dear commodities uh, now, and they are better used elsewhere uh, within Kuwait. So we can do two things, essentially take carbon that would otherwise have dissipated into the atmosphere, and two, free up other sources uh, and, and cleaner sources of, uh, of energy for other uses within uh, within Kuwait rather than inject them into a reservoir to keep uh, to maintain pressure. So we've started that. It's It's been extremely successful from a technical point of view. Problem is uh, the cost because the CO2 that you inject will come back up with the uh, with the oil at some point, and it has CO2 has a very corrosive effect on the metallurgy uh, and the facilities that were not originally designed for this much CO2. So we're looking at how we can bring in liners, we can um, work on the metallurgy to to uh, to retrofit facilities that cost multi billions of dollars uh, rather than replace. Okay, and very quick word on the hydrogen, please. Hydrogen production, and yes, the hydrogen on the last part. Uh, hydrogen remains part of this this uh, uh, this plan for us. Certainly, we would begin with blue hydrogen uh, to uh, remove the CO 2s and essentially uh, of the of the production of that hydrogen, and, and again use that CO two in, in the CCUS. Uh, green hydrogen, we will get to once we have enough uh, renewable energy, and and there would be uh, solar and wind. Uh, and that would be on a on a on a state level, uh, mm -hmm. uh, much bigger than just uh, just KPC on this one. How um how big a role does Kuwait intend to play in um, in Dubai for COP twenty eight? Uh, what where, how are we going to see you represented there? And 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 I guess the question is what 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 do you want to see come out of uh, out of Dubai? What is essential to to come out of Dubai? Uh, what's essential uh, that we would love to see coming out of Dubai is a uh, uh, an open, honest dialogue that includes all of the parties that need to be heard in this. And uh, from that, from this perspective, I say that uh, a call on uh, elimination of hydrocarbons um, within a uh, artificial timeline uh, will essentially lead to uh, to extreme economic dislocation and. Uh, and human suffering uh, because you need hydrocarbons uh, over the next few decades. But uh, how can we work responsibly with uh, with partners around the world to find the technical solutions and then also the funding uh, to implement the uh, the offsets and the hydrocarbon and the and the carbon reduction uh, that that we are all looking forward to. Uh, that requires all of us, all of us, to be working together to a common goal, as opposed to uh, being adversarial in, in the discussion. But are you are you hopeful that this will be more than just another talking shop? Uh, yes, I think you know the the the, the where it's based uh, this time, obviously in the United Arab Emirates, is uh, extremely important for uh, for all of us because it it really gives. Uh, us a, a voice uh, where we expect to to have an honest dialogue. Uh, there'll be commitments that we will all have to uh, to put forward on our side, uh, but at the same time, we also want a recognition as well that when we go talk to uh, 
research institutions and lending institutions uh, that they are open to working together um, to decarbonize uh, production until such time as uh, the uh, alternatives are are found. Right. Uh, but to say that to say uh, that you are the enemy at this point uh, without an alternative is um, really a foolhardy exercise. Yeah. All right. Look, I, I'm going to leave it there, uh, Sheikh Nawaf. I, I really appreciate your uh, your time today and your candor. Um, thank you to everyone as well for listening in. Be sure to keep up to date uh, with all of the Alatia Foundation's work by following on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, also watch the space for the next uh, in the podcast series. I'm Axel Threlfall for Reuters out of London. Many thanks and goodbye. Thank you, Axel.